everyone to the virtual coffee break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. My name is Martin Mangual and I'm a dairy educator in the west side of the state for Michigan State University Extension. In this week's episode, we focus on farm succession planning. Dairy educator Cora Okema will have a conversation with Trent Hilding, an agricultural and business law attorney here in Michigan. Great conversation ahead, so let's get started. Hello and welcome to the virtual coffee break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. My name is Cora Akuma and I will be your host for today. Now the focus of today's episode will be farm succession planning. With me today, I have someone who uses their farm experience to serve his community to protect, preserve, and pass on their legacy business and estate assets. Thank you, Trent, for joining me today. Thank you, Cora. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Trent, before we start digging into things, can you tell me about your background and how you were drawn to practicing ag law? Certainly. I grew up on a farm and over the years watched, uh, we had cattle and watched my dad uh, rent land with handshakes and put lime and alfalfa on the fields. And then after they were seeded the next year, somebody else wanted to rent them. And I thought there had to be an easier way. And then in, in our community, I watched neighbors and brothers in a farm that separated and things were kind of unorganized and messy and, again, thought there had to be a better way. And so I guess I got kind of drawn to law school as a way to look at solutions and possibilities of putting things in writing to make things more, I guess, organized. <laughs> Organization is key, especially when it comes to farming. Could you lay out your dream scenario for me when you're working with folks whose primary income comes from farming? Like what documents do they have prepared for you? What things do they have in place to protect themselves and their loved ones if the worst happens? And uh, what protections do they have in place for the business itself? Well, I, I guess a dream scenario would, would be able to see that they at least have one uh, organizational structure, whether it be an LLC corporation or something like that as an operating entity and that they have another structure to hold real estate that maybe the senior generation owns, and then maybe some real estate holding entity for the next generation, successor generation with the parents or however it may be. So that there's a little bit of divide amongst the assets uh, and we got uh, entities that we can use to transfer uh, ownership over. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about the business structure, how does the business structure affect farm transition when it's privately owned versus say an LLC, all of that. Using uh, business entities makes it easier. When you look at gifting and sale and purchase, I mean, it, it's a lot easier to gift a company stock or membership interest that owns the entire tractor than to only be able to afford to gift the tires off the tractor. I think it ties everything together. With business companies, uh, we can use marketability discounts because they're closely held, they're not publicly traded. So we can play around with numbers when we do transitions and gifting or putting the buy-sell agreements together. We can utilize buy-sell agreements because everybody is tied to that company. It just can't be sold to somebody else. If somebody dies, you know, their spouse can't sell the shares to anybody else other than the other owners. So it offers some security uh, that the company and the assets of the company will stay intact. And you had stated keeping some of the real estate and uh, the, the business itself separate. Can you talk more on that? Yeah. And not everybody has followed those plans. There's a lot of folks that have corporations from the 80s or 90s, and they have all their land and all their stuff in it. But obviously, when it comes to succession planning and bringing uh, the next generation in, if a farm and family has amassed a, a bunch of wealth and land and assets, you know, you can't afford to give it all away. 
plus uh, you can't afford to buy it all. And you know, if we have separate entities, I think there's a couple things to think about with that. Number one, the real estate is a key investment that you want to be separate from your liability, your employees, your risk risk factors that you have in your operation. The other thing is that you know the real estate under current law, you know, should be held by the parents or the senior generation until death, so it can get a step up in basis. Uh, it's also their uh, insurance card if they transfer the operation to the kid and the kid mismanages or uh, borrows too much. The parents still have the security of the land, uh, both for their rental income or their livelihood, as well as kind of protection from what, what the kids may do in the operation. So separating those out has a, has a lot of pros and it, it isn't for every operation, but for most, there's a lot of benefits to doing it that way. Gotcha. And I've seen some parents or owners put their real estate into a trust. What does that mean? What does that look like compared to private ownership? Trust is just going to, it's a way to help transfer the property at death so that it can avoid probate. And, and it may be a way to treat uh, heirs differently instead of going completely equal. Maybe the farm kid gets a little bit of a bump over the non-farm kids, uh, just however the trust is set up. The trust could provide for a payment timeline for the farming heir to buy out the non-farming heirs. What I tell people is, you know, what, look at what you're doing. If you want to move assets today during your lifetime, then you're probably going to look at a business entity to own the land and bring kids in. If you want to hold, like I said, a bulk of that land for your own retirement and security during your lifetime and transfer it at death, then, you know, a trust is a, an important mechanism for, for passing things on when somebody passes away. And for clarity, could you explain what probate is? Probate is the, the mechanism, if you have no will or trust, that the state of Michigan dictates how your assets go. And a couple things, people are usually scared of probate because they think it costs a lot. It, it does have fees. It does have uh, uh, inventory fee and some other things that come into play. But to me, the, the bigger dangers uh, or concerns of probate are if I have minor children, everything I have in a business or land is going to be to a conservator until those kids are 18, and then those kids get access to everything. With a trust, you can trickle that out over time with different ages, uh, different factors. The other downfall of probate is it, it could tie up a, a business operation, operating entity, and, and doesn't make a transition efficient if we have the wrong person die that, that is the key to that. So I think the biggest thing is dealing with probate with minor children. I think not having timelines that you might need to implement buyouts. It's a direct mechanism to divide up assets, but it doesn't follow any sort of logical plan. It just kind of is a spill method. Gotcha. <laughs> That's a great way to explain it. It just spills. <laughs> so um, you had mentioned within that wills, powers of attorneys, is that something that you recommend that all parties that are going through a succession plan have in place or at least get in place when they're going through this process? Yeah, I mean, I, if somebody comes in to do some succession planning and or estate planning with it, medical directives, uh, financial powers of attorney, you know, having the will and the trust are, are the primary base documents. There's a lot of other ancillary documents, but those things all should be in place. At any given age, you never know. I mean, we've all seen COVID. We've seen different impacts of people in, in long-term stays at hospitals. So these powers of attorney and medical directives are ever more on people's faces and tongues to say, let's let's have this in place so that we can take care of business if, mm -hmm. if somebody's unable to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember going to a Farm Bureau conference and that was actually one of their topics. I think I was maybe 20, 21 years old. And they said, when you turn 18, if you're on the farm full-time, get this in place. It is two pieces of paper or two groups of paper that really can 
allow you to give your say of what happens with your property if the worst happens. And I think within the next coming weeks, I'm like, yep, we're doing this. And obviously mine was very little because I was only uh, 21 at the time, but it, it provided me a lot of assurance and comfort in, in knowing that, hey, I have those things in place. Yeah, the, the courts and the statutes provide for conservators and guardians, which, which can take the place of, of a power of attorney and medical directive if you don't have them. But again, mm -hmm. it's a it's a process and procedure through the courts. The appointed person may not be who you want. Mm -hmm. uh, so just simple paper to identify what you want and who you want to be in charge is, right. it goes a long way. Right. Talking a lot about the financials, when we're thinking about the financial planning side of thing, what are your thoughts on, say, retirement accounts? Everybody has their own way of investing. And I mean, full-time farms, a lot of it's into the farm assets and they may not have sizable retirement accounts or maybe some life insurance stuff in play. Anytime there's a farm situation where you have one family member working off the farm, that usually changes. There's retirement accounts and other investments that come into play. I think they all, I mean, people have to make their own decision on what's best for them, uh, what to invest into. And I think if they're there, they're certainly a good key piece to how we can divide things up uh, amongst family. Again, you know, I'm, I'm from a farm background and my investments have been in farm assets as well. And I think everybody knows the value of land and, and some of the, the stuff that we have with inflation today, you know, the hard assets are better than cash. So mm -hmm. that changes, it varies and, and diversity is always good if you have kids that are on the farm and not on the farm to make mm -hmm. sure people get a piece of the pie one way or the other. Hitting on that same topic of splitting up the farm and split ownership, really talking about the topic of equal versus fair and how that is. It's such a tricky topic and it's tricky to approach because there's a lot of different people involved with their personal opinions on things. So within your role, what are the different types of approaches that you suggest to owners, operators working with these successors? Yeah, equal and fair, two different things. And in, in I would say 85% of the cases, you, you can't afford to have uh, equal distribution if you have a business. I don't care if it's a farm business or any other business. If you have one of the kids involved in the business and you want to transfer it, it's got a huge dollar figure attached to it to buy it out. And also, you know, that value is there when they inherit it. And inheriting more may not be right, may not be fair, but... Um, there are some plans where we can do some things to try to equal it out, but you end up tying those assets up forever through a trust or some sort of company or entity. In a lot of cases for the farms to be viable and successful, they do have to transfer in a fashion that's not equal. And, uh, you know, it still could be considered equitable and fair. I mean, if farms are transferring with debt or, you know, somebody's got to work hard to continue with that opportunity, that's uh, that's an opportunity, not cash in hand. And so uh, I guess it, it can go back to your definition of fair, but there are just many, many ways to try to make it as fair as we can and keep the farm viable or, or the business, but making it equal isn't the first first mechanism to do that. Mm -hmm. So, Gotcha. Is there a common approach that you see where there's example, a kid on farm, a kid that can help out on the weekends and a kid that's maybe they're a day a month type of situation? Yeah. In some cases like that, you know, we may want to leave the door open for other families to come back to the operating entity. And, you know, the kid that is on full time may end up with the operations, but we may end up doing something with real estate that's jointly owned or everybody can share in some rental revenue or accumulation of the wealth in the family. But again, there's a lot of different things we do to that to make sure it's still protected and, and available for the farm and 
and time periods and, and different things and and spelling out what happens if somebody, you know, leaves or changes their mind. You know, right. we want to make sure everything's protected for that operation. For me, how I see it, and uh, this is my own personal opinion, I really see it where those who are heavily involved in the farm, they take on the burden of the management decisions. And in my opinion, those are the ones that would most likely have greater ownership. Is that an approach that's usually seen or is it? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, it, part of the process I like is that when we can get this started a, a little bit early and give everybody a chance to work together to see what, what happens. And we can do some of that with, with vesting periods. And sometimes there's prenuptials. I mean, obviously there's concern about starting too early in young marriages or mm -hmm. not married yet. But I think, you know, the more time that somebody that is going to be vested and wants to be vested in the operation can work with the senior generation, the more time they can learn, you know, they can pick up on things. And then the, the opportunities to be able to grow in different directions or, or contribute, contribute to the operation are there too. You had talked about uh, marriages, but actually uh, it spurred a question for successors who are a married couple and say, for example, one's on farm, one's off farm. How do you view that party in in the sense of ownership where the one who's on farm is say a primary uh, manager but it's two people now go owning into that farm. yeah it just depends i mean one of the first questions everybody's got to ask when we look at successors is do you want to be a successor okay mm. and and the spouse plays a role in that because if there's a business with debt you know the numbers are big and real and, and sometimes non-farm spouses uh, don't understand debt. Uh, they have a fear of debt or don't want to sign to debt. And so, you know, before you even get to that level, you really have to just make sure whether they're an owner or not, everybody's on the same page of what ownership means, even if it's for a spouse, mm -hmm. um, what the business entails, and that everybody's got the full support of each other to do that. Right. Um, you know, sometimes spouses demand to be owners, even though they may be full-time job somewhere else and have no idea what goes on with the cows or the operation. Um, other times they're fine not being an owner or maybe just being involved in land ownership. And so we try to get a gauge for what the dynamics are and in, in, in the family and the roles and, and try to make sure we can make a plan that fits. Awesome. Presenting it individual entity and paired entities. Correct. Going back to the farm financials, I know those are very, they're typically kept close to the chest. Not a lot of owners, operators really bringing in the successors and saying, here's all the nitty gritty and mess of farm financials. Here's all of the businesses that we work with. Here's our debts. Here's our uh, common monthly expenses. Here's an idea of what this truckload of mineral costs or protein costs us this month, all of that. So with that... How do you suggest for the owners to bring in the successor party to start familiarizing them on that process, or even it might even be switched around, have the successor party encourage and, and try and start to get an understanding of the financials before all of a sudden that, that person who's managing the financials is no longer here? Well, I think they got to start in baby steps and I think they got to be able to see the big picture. So if there's annual meetings or monthly meetings with a, the accounting firm, I think being involved in that to see where their monthly or quarterly reports are and seeing where things are at the end of the year and understanding uh, the interest, the debt, the depreciation, the prepaids and kind of what, what everybody's doing there. 
I also think if there's uh, expansion opportunities and you're borrowing money, uh, you know, the time to go to the lender and bring the next generation in to see what that entails and, and how things fit. You know, one of the things about the succession planning process is if somebody doesn't have a kid in the entity or if they're setting up new entities, I mean, whatever the case may be, that that's a time to really look at budgets and to look at how things fit. Senior generations are used to have used to having control of that checkbook and full control to the extent of writing off their cell phones and vehicles and different things. And, and that's fine. That's what the business is there for. But when the next generation comes in at some percentage, then we got to ask the question, uh, what perks does that child get? Do they get mm-hmm. the vehicle? Do they get insurance, cell phones? And so it really forces everybody to go back to what is the budget of the farm operation and what is the budget of the different households and how do those mesh together and are we profitable or what can we afford to pay junior the next generation? What do mm-hmm. we, what can we afford to pay ourselves in rents? So to me, it helps really lay out budgets, enterprise budgets, and really make sure that you're a little bit better manager on the numbers when you, when you start this process. Gotcha. So you would say that like monthly update meetings with almost a treasurer or accounting report would be really beneficial to at least get that ball rolling. Yeah. Farms report quarterly or monthly. I think being involved in that and understanding what the numbers are and the ratios, I Mm -hmm. think would be helpful. An overall management meeting where the financials is talked about alongside what's going on. Correct. And then some people are very in depth and have consultants involved and they do this on a very regular basis. Other Mm -hmm. farms it's once a year with the accountant. So right. whatever whatever the situation is, I think, you know, at least learn at the level that the parents are doing it and, and see where there can be changes, improvements, or have at least right. an understanding. Perfect. What are some of the missteps that you see folks taking when they're trying to create a succession plan or even considering starting the process? I think people withhold too much information is, is sometimes part of the issue. I think people... Uh, do that because of their concern for control, not understanding that, you know, a lot of the options that what I would suggest is still going to give the parents the control they need. I mean, we're not taking away control and because we do something on paper, you know, it doesn't mean you're not showing up at the farm. You're not part of the farm. It's just a, it's a process on paper to start moving that. So I think there's, there's still a lot of unknowns about how some of this stuff works and, and people don't know what questions to ask or what to have or don't think they're big enough to do a transition plan uh, or, you know, just a whole variety of things that, that come into play that become roadblocks that I think, you know, with the right meeting and education, you know, we can, we can overcome those and keep things moving. Yeah. Wonderful. And with that, so what is something that uh, throughout our talk today hasn't been brought up yet that you feel is a crucial part of succession planning? Well, I think we touched, we tried to touch on a lot of stuff here. The financials is is absolutely key. If it's not big enough and the farm doesn't work, you know, you can't bring another person in. So that's key. But then the other part of that is we talk about succession planning with entities and businesses, and that's ownership of assets. But uh, we still have to have the management, right? If we don't have the right person there or the, the person doesn't have that ability, then, you know, we have... We have a problem. And so we we need to make sure that's why starting earlier is, is sometimes better. And I touched on that to make sure that we can transition management and have trial and error periods and, and really figure out what's going on. I think the other thing would be to make sure that everybody uh, that is crucial to the farm is, is involved at some point in the process. And that would be your you know, dealing with your accountants, your attorney, maybe your consultant, and then your lender, if there's a bank involved at the, you know, for the operation. I think all those people need to kind of be involved to make sure that there's some input given and Mm -hmm. and everybody has an understanding for the big picture of the operation. Yeah. um, So you had mentioned attorneys. Actually, 
Is that something that you would recommend each party uh, that's going through this succession planning secure for them individually? At some point, there there may be a need for that, depending on what kind of documents are put together. But you know, a lot of times, I think that's too much to start out with. There's a lot of strategy and planning and question and answering that has to be done that, that is on a group. And then, you know, from there, we can talk about what gets put in place and who should review it or okay. where other attorneys come in. But that's another thing. I mean, this is a cost factor. There's a cost factor that kind of prohibits people from going forward. And, mm -hmm. and that could uh, add too much cost too quickly. Not that to say that at some point it's not warranted, but uh, mm -hmm. depends on where people are at. There's a lot of questions and just review and feedback that's got to happen before you get to that level. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. As per tradition, we have a fun couple of questions at the very end that we do uh, with our guests. First, what is your favorite dairy product? Favorite dairy product would probably be ice cream. Ooh, okay. Follow up then. Uh, what flavor? Cookie dough. Ooh, I do love me some cookie dough. And then final question, regular chocolate or strawberry milk? I like regular. I'm yeah. a traditionalist. I mean, chocolate's good and strawberry's good, but mm -hmm. there's nothing like a good glass of white regular milk. Whole yes, milk, so. I completely agree. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much. I think that went over great. So. <laughs> Whatever I can do to help. Thank you both for that great conversation. I hope that the information shared today leads to successful conversations at the farm level for those managing or engaging in succession planning. If you have additional questions or want to learn more, you can reach Cora Okema at okemaco at msu.edu. That is O-K-K-E-M-A-C-O at msu.edu. You can also reach Trent Hilding at trent at hildingactlaw.com. That is T-R-E-N-T at H-I-L-D-I-N-G aglaw.com. Join us next week when Dr. Barry Bradford joins us with a new interesting update regarding the new dairy facility. He will spend some time with Jerry Willie, an agriculture engineer from Curry Willie & Associates. They will discuss some of the insights of designing a dairy facility that meets the challenge of being a working dairy farm, but also used for teaching, research, and outreach. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you'll join us then.